Welcome back to season two of the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced running physiotherapist, coach, and marathoner. This season will involve open discussions with my running colleagues about the key principles behind injury-free running and optimal performance. It'll be backed by personal experience, science, and history. I can only hope some of these chats inspire curiosity and expand or confirm perspectives and beliefs amongst the running community. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today's guest is fresh from an overseas trip to the States. He has years of experience now as a running technique coach. I have co-treated a lot of runners that he has helped and they speak so highly of him. Welcome to the show, the balanced runner, Paul McKinnon. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here, Dan. Nice, mate. Um, I'm really interested to hear how the States went. Uh, uh, How did that come about? uh, what were you doing over there and uh, what were some of the big highlights and takeaways? So uh, there's probably yeah three parts to that. How how the trip came about, because this is the fifth time I've been over in the last 16 months or yeah, probably even at least 15 months. Um, it came about by too dissimilar to like something uh, along the lines of what we're doing now. One of the, um, the, the senior shoe well, the senior footwear um, developer at Nike listened to a podcast that I, that I was on, and that was the one with Moose that you talked about, a um, guy by the name of Chris Cook. And he's got, like, this really quizzical brain, really, really impressive. Um, and, like, his, his role at the moment is, you know, the developing the, the Vaporfly and the Alphafly. So he's, they're his main two shoes, and, he, I mean, he does the, um, another couple as well. And he'd been looking for and had tried to work with a couple of people who do, um, you know, form over there. It's what they call like te- technique change or, or technique improvement and hadn't really found much that he necessarily agreed with or, or saw or p- positive change. And then um, he reached out to me with some sessions online and he found that it was, you know, he could see where I was going with it and, and, and how the improvements could um, could be made through this process. And so that was March last year, and he said, we'll come out. And so it was an opportunity to get out, um, you know, on campus at Nike and start working with a couple of athletes like um, Gail and Rupp and, and like Emily Enfeld. And that sort of, that started the process of being involved over there with those athletes. Um, now, whilst they're the Bauman Elite Group, which is coached by Elliot Heath, um, I worked with a lot, if not all of those athletes. And that's kind of like the, the sub professional group that's that's Bowman. So Bowman do a really good great job like community and masters and junior. Um, but he kind of runs that side and then the professional is more like, you know, Jerry and Nike. This is kind of the community side to it. So working with them and I just it I mean naturally like over here it's kind of progressed well and the athletes are like, oh, you know, I can feel some positive influence and this is really great and, and, and they could see how that was. So since then I've been going sort of three times last year, it'll be three times again this year, um, to continue working with those athletes, I said at the start, plus a few more. Um, but the one most recently was, it's it's a random one, because we don't do it so much in, in, in Australia. They, they do like their, their summer camps. Um, and Bauman put on a, a, a summer running camp for high school athletes. And the whole idea is to have you know, like the Bauman subset a group and community to be coached in a, in a manner that, that I coach. So I can almost be like, cool, this is, we, we see this benefit and we see that this is kind of like a really positive way of a change or, or B to actually create, um, what create runners from the start point. And so it's to go over there and work for the week in a, in a summer camp, but in the, in the technique side of things. So I've got like all counselors who are like majority of them are division one college runners, like Kai Robinson is actually a counselor over there. Oh. It's crazy. Like he's, he's just one, 
five and ten k NCAA is looking to go to Worlds, and and he's one of the counselors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we do that for one week, and then I do a week of in Portland doing some coaching, then went down to Eugene for the USA trials to to watch some of the athletes trial, and then the third week is back for the, the second week of camp. So that's been the most recent one. Yeah, um, pretty busy three weeks. But it is cool to be involved in, in that area and, and that space and those athletes, um, both you know, at that junior level and, and, and to the elite. Were there a few athletes that you've seen a few times over those 16 months? Um, yeah. And like, that would have been good, like just to see them a, a few times. Like, um, what were their reports on like um, their technique over the time? And, and the, um, is there anyone that comes to mind that you can... Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like the, you know, the, the main one is is Galen. Like yeah. he's he's come from a point of having um, Achilles surgery in sort of 2018-19. Was around then. Um, took a little while to to kind of return back to to, to fitness. Um, but he started to create some movement patterns that almost tried to or moved around the the natural use of of that Achilles calf ankle complex and he almost kind of worked around it and he started to create movement patterns even in his own he's trying to do trying to do what he thought was the right thing but it just started to kind of shorten a movement change a movement and then that went up into his into his back and he's, he's had a few back problems yep. so he he had the at the tail end of, of those back injuries we started working together to start to kind of break down those movement patterns that he created and and even that last most recent trip, we finally got to a point where we're starting to load um, the left leg in a manner that could allow and actually focus on some some drive and extension through his femur swing rather than stopping short and getting off that Achilles. So he's been a really good one to work with for, for many different reasons because he's so professional and so like focused on doing it. Um, but also it's been quite a complex breakdown can't just go, oh, you're doing that and do that and change that. Like, you're going, well, we've got to change this position to be able to change this movement to then load the foot and then to create the extension. So it was kind of, that's been like a really cool process to get to a point where now, um, when I showed in the video after the most recent session, he's like, shit, I haven't run that well for, you know, four years or five years like that. You can, it doesn't feel, it feels exaggerated odd, but that's what I want to be running like. So that's kind of been one of the, the cool, um, stories that's awesome um yeah why i wanted to get you on paul um was pretty much um because you have sort of been in the trenches for a while like in the technique game and and uh coaching running technique and um sort of at the coalface of like working with athletes and working through um yeah cues and 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 trying to communicate um, and listen and watch athletes and, and try to help them evolve um, with their technique. Um, and also you learn from what I've learned just from listening to podcasts a lot personally with your experiences with a coach in Canberra, um, Lex Anderson. Um, I'd love to hear about perhaps your experiences early days on how you sort of got involved in it all and, and how Lex helped you. And, and you've obviously, you know, he must have had a really lasting impression on you the fact that you've sort of gone into a similar field that he does yeah yeah it's um it's probably as it multifaceted i think when, when i was younger i had already like a real interest in well it's running like i i think most people know that i'm a hockey player background um but with a real interest in running you know growing up in canberra with the fire trails and and i, I was on a, i grew up on a farm and having sort of fire trails really close by uh, and I used to like doing a lot of running for hockey. And I was already interested in my own movement um, and what it sounded like or what it felt like when I was running. Um, at the same time, we, we actually had Lex as our, it was more a speed and agility coach through um, the ACTAS program uh, in Canberra. So it's like the VAS that's here, just the equivalent. Uh, and it was much more about like just the, you know, change of direction, speed, um, sprint based stuff and I remember it was very similar timing where like I'd gone out and run and I'd been listening to feet they sounded different and I changed arm swing to try and affect feet 
and I could feel like a real change immediately. And then kind of was going between like these two ways of, of, of what now useful or call like new AI old way just to go, okay, why is that changing or what is it doing? And I went to Lex and told him what I was, what I was, you know, playing with. And he goes, oh, it's really interesting you say that because that's kind of where I'm starting to, to move. And, and he'd had, you know, more experience in strength conditioning originally and then into kind of more the, the movement-based stuff. And so... Um, whilst he was kind of developing, I was getting an understanding of what he was what he was doing. But also for myself, was just like looking at different movement patterns. And I'd turn up to sessions sometimes, and he, you know, like it, it really appreciated that he kind of let me watch, and he'd ask like, "What do you what do you see? What do you look for?" And we kind of bounce ideas off it. And you know, at that point, I got a real really good education on on that side of things. But I think also at the same time, I was doing my own you know teaching degree, um, doing a sports science minor through it. And so to kind of look at look at things a little bit differently as well. So, yeah, credit a lot to him in in regards to the kind of that real initial initial thought process of oh, this is something that can be done and can be done really well. And he's he's very very good at it. Um, and then started to kind of find my own little way as well and and kind of mix and match a little bit. What do you um, think makes him good at it, or like what do you think makes a good coach? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think. Well, I guess that's two different questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> what makes him good at it is that, that he can see, you know, the, the minutiae of movements and how cause and effect um, and how important it is and how flipped it is from what most people see it. You know, like we talked before we got on and, and a lot of the coaching is around, you know, outcome-based, um, you know, cadence being one, um, and even something as simple as, you know, knee lift or knee drive, um, ground contact or, or landing or something as simple as like running, you know, the whole running tall and not, and having a misunderstanding that it's not about a body position. It's actually about a flight time and being for a long period of time off the ground. So therefore, then you look taller. Um, so understanding or, or trying to try and understand like how all those are just the outcomes and then starting to work out like, what is that person doing that means they're not doing those ones? Because it's not like they're not trying to or they don't want to do it. You know, and that, I stuff, but I'm going to make this hard for myself because, you know, like that's admirable. I want to get injured in certain places. But no one's trying to do that. It was just, you know, at one point in time, their body's best guess of what running is doing. And those movements are taking it away from those things that we just talked about or, or, or the best case scenarios of those, those outcomes. So it's then trying to work out what that person is doing to stop or to take away from the good outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with what I find interesting, um, when I've uh, looked at your stuff online and I um, signed up to your course like earlier in the year and I took so much from it, um, you speak of like this top down or middle out approach and uh, yeah, it like I've I've coached a, a few a ten ten athletes down on the Mornington Peninsula, um, and I showed them a lot of those videos. And I was talking to some one of the kids I coached last night about it, and he's taken so much from that. Um, uh, and and his movement really has changed. Um, but the funny thing is, it's his overstride. Um, <laughs> um, so it's sort of. The stuff that's going down on the ground that's changed, but um, he he uh, he's more f attending to up top. Yeah. yeah. So I always it was something that always stood out to me was that we always talk about our relationship with the ground, and 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 often it is about a, a striking pattern or a, or a, or a leg movement. But I think there's from the hips up, how you hold it, how you move it, and how it goes together is going to influence the hips down. So if we make really, really poor, poor movements in a poor position, the ability to make positive change through legs is, is almost, if not impossible. And by changing or improving a movement, a timing, um, a symmetry of, of movement, uh, a body position and understanding why center of mass or how center of masses can be changed, um, 
it will then directly influence the legs. Now, it won't necessarily mean that immediately they'll go into what I'd call like an upper leg dominant movement or, a, or an upper leg patterned movement. But what it will do is it actually starts to bring it closer and closer to where that it makes it so much easier to change that. And it's not such a, a drastic change being influenced by, you know, something poor above. So you're right. Like if you do something better in the upper body, it is going to positively change the hips down. And then once you actually get that top half structured and in good position and working really well and habitual, then we can actually place focus down that chain. But if, if we want to use kind of example of, you know, like Brett Robinson, like he had, you know, beautiful mechanics, good timing, good patterns of movement from hips down, but his hips up were influencing that loading for the hips down. So we could do all we want to try and change or try and make symmetrical the legs, you know, hips down, but they're only asymmetrical because of the hips up. So everything we've only ever worked on is actually hips up. His legs have just been great just trying to make the most out of those really, really good movements. How much do you think, uh, like, so when you're working with an athlete, surely you seldom know what to do straight away. Like, surely it's a, a, a process of experimenting, communicating, mucking up and playing around with things. Like, is that, like, yeah. Um, look, I, look I, I won't know before a session. So yeah. if I haven't seen them run, no, I won't. Yeah. If I, like I'll get them to give me a, like an injury history or a background, and I'll have a good idea. I think yeah. just from understanding of there's normally patterns. Yeah. You know, you can you can place movement patterns into buckets of injuries or or vice versa. How you kind of want to look at it. Yep. But I still won't know, and there has been times where I've been surprised. But as soon as I see a move, I can understand what first port of call is. And we and thinking about that top down, like if someone's got a perfect arm swing, obviously I don't have to do that. But there's gonna be something down through that um that that series or you know, the the approach that's going to be going wrong. Yeah. Or it's gonna be off. But what about the teaching um, aspect? Like the so like yeah you've pinpointed, oh yeah, I feel like they could work on on their arms or or their trunk position. Um but that actual communication of the change to the athlete like that that's pretty complex isn't it like at times it can be yeah, for sure yeah. i think the i mean the positive of the the, the education degree that i did yeah. has, has helped with that you know like different language styles different language styles and and picking up a lot from that that athlete but even using their experiences and their backgrounds in, in sporting history or, or even sometimes what they do for work like i'll use that in the in the communicative, the communicative piece. Yeah. But the way that I'll get before even making the change, I'll ask them so many questions about what it feels to them and what they feel and what movements they can actually isolate that it's less about, okay, well, I'm going to teach you to do something without you understanding why I'm doing it. It's actually, they've told me all this information and they said, okay, now knowing that whichever part that we start on or whatever sequence or series of cues that we're up to, we'll focus on their current movement or their current position and how it feels to them or what's switched on or what's switched off or, you know, yep. and then say, okay, now get in this position and feel this run a few times and then use that new way, old way. So less about, the less importance about, okay, this is do it, make sure you do it and do that over and over and over again to create habit. You create that contrast between what they feel and what I want them to do, and then it's immediately on them. And they can actually have an internal awareness or proprioceptive awareness of what is happening so that they can make sure they know what it feels like when they're not doing it and they know what it feels like when they are doing it so that when they're out running, they can make sure that they're just continuing that new movement, which is the toughest thing about skill acquisition, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what I've found. Um, like I've only been playing around with it more and more the last couple of years. But it's that, um, uh, like, I think I'll improve if I've got a bigger catalogue of um, experiences to work from. Um, but, like, trying to communicate the change that you're trying to get them to do um, and then to, like, some some uh, really overly cognitive runners, they almost overthink it and force it, like, some of the changes, and then they almost look worse, <laughs> I've found. 
In, in some cases, it depends. Then you got to go, okay, because I always put a band back on me. Like it's yep. like, okay, well, this is this is my role to go. Okay, if they're overdoing it, or if, or if I'm giving them space to overthink it, that's on me. And it's like, okay, now we need to break it down as to why we're doing this and what is it we're trying to achieve from it, and really giving them sometimes like such explicit directives that they have no room. And for some people, you wouldn't need to do it. But some people, you need to. Okay, I need to create a focal point that doesn't allow anything yeah, other than what we want them to achieve and let them, and then let them go back to their role. Cause it shouldn't, I mean, the thing I always say to athletes is like, if it doesn't feel better in the session, I haven't done my job because an improvement of movement or position should improve the relationship with the ground or freedom of movement. So you should be able to feel it. And like, that's the beauty about running that it is just the body and the ground. So anything that is an improvement, once we compare it to your old, it should feel better. If it doesn't, I haven't done my job, or we haven't thought through it, which is the correct movement or the correct position. And then it's like, okay, now this is my job. That's not that's not the athlete's role. Like it's I'm I'm here to try and get you to do the right thing. So then it's like, okay, how can we actually work through this to make sure that they do have this tiny little box to work within if they are an overthinker? Or if they don't if they aren't, it's like, cool, we can actually kind of make it a little bit broader or we don't have to go into as much detail. But yeah, that, again, it's going back to your, the coaching side of it. Yeah, I love that piece of your work where you, you compare old versus new and it has, like, if it's, if it's a good change, it's, it would have made them feel better, whether it's their injury or their pain or, or it just feels faster or, or just nicer because um, your body, like, is giving you that sensory input. So I feel like it's a really, like, that's such a, like a great little test. Um, uh, yeah, no, that makes so much sense. Um, and we've like been really say explicit with, um, like the instructions. Do you ever use like constraints, um, at all where you constrain the environment, uh, like, uh, wickets, um, like little mini hurdles or hills or bare feet or like other like external cues, like metronomes or, or audible cues. Like what's the craziest um, kind of cueing that you've had to like go to to try to get someone to change? <laughs> yeah, good question. I think yeah. I actually got asked about the hill one the other day by Elliot Heath as well. Did you ever do it on a hill to try and you know, like match or use that to actually create? Yeah. And I don't, but it yep. probably is for some of the, like some of the, um, particularly the trail runners up and downhill Sometimes it, I have a couple of times, but it's more because I said, oh, can we work on something, you know, the downhill or the uphill? Yeah. As far as like a physical constraint, like I'll use the speed ladder every now and again yeah. because it's the constraint and it's not because we want it to be quick or, or, or move in a certain manner. It's like, okay, if I can get this athlete to reduce their movement so much that they can do such a small version that they can do what they're supposed to be doing in those small you know, in the, in the small squares, but I'll use that to kind of go through to create an awareness of a movement, um, focused on a, on a particular area. And then I'll get them to kind of keep doing it after the ladder without the ladder, but still the same movement. And then I'll get them to do all that and then, you know, slightly increase the movement. And then we'll do the same thing like without the ladder. So then you can kind of remove it and go, okay, do that. And then start to open up. And do the same thing, but it's like that. Like you're thinking of the, 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 the wickets or the little mini hurdles, you're opening them up further, further and further. I just find that the the hurdle sometimes, like there's a real focal point on the height of the movement. So I try not to think about or give them that. It's more about a space. And as long as they're thinking about the correct movement, it's just kind of like spacing they can use. Yeah. So they're probably the main ones. It, it's fun. Like the other thing that the reason why it's funny to ask because like sometimes I'll, I'll put. If someone can't quite get the feeling of, you know, like that elbow being the anchor and keeping like a, a little bit more of a, a more acute angle at the inside of the elbow, like sometimes I'll get them to you know, pinch their shirt to actually create an anchor or put, you know, like a little stick in the crease of their elbow because if they open up, if they drive through their hand, then it'll come out. Um, but the, the Chris that I was telling you earlier, he's, he's been trying to, like between us trying to create like a bit of a garment to actually do similar thing. Like it's like, particularly for that arm swing cue of being able to like, okay, let's put this on, you're holding this, and then you can't do anything but kind of go through that specific movement. And most that's a different constraint and more of a garment constraint rather than actually a, you know, like a, a, a ground constraint. 
So yeah, I do. I try not to because if we can do it without it, then it's then it's good. But sometimes you need it. Then 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 again, it's it's probably taking that one step even further back so that we can then kind of bring them back into the point where they don't need it. Yeah. No, that that's that's great. I was I was really interested in how, like your thoughts on on that. Um, and then for like the listeners at home, like I I think um a really like I really have enjoyed listening to you um talk about um perhaps like the like the three biggest um most common uh uh areas that you feel like oh, every day you see a runner um come in and you feel like you're you're um trying to get them to to change like what are some of the most common um biomechanics uh or movement patterns that you feel like um most a lot of runners are, are struggling with um, but the two came up really recently where one of the, one of the um, guys I coach, uh, he, he did one of the coaching courses. Um, there's a, the holistic program, so not just technique, but within it, there was a, a technique component. And as he said, it's quite minor, um, which is always pretty interesting to me. But the most common one, and this was sport during that um, course, was, you know, chest out, run proud, you know, head up, head up tall, like the whole straight, straight spine, chest out. That is the main one because A, it's coached or B, it's like, it's a pretty natural position for people to try and get into just restraining, you know, like they're trying to get into this and like feel like they're actually doing something or, or, or they're trying to get forward but from a different position. Um, so that's probably the most common that, that I'll see and, and, and that's why it's that middle out in, in that case, um, but the top down because the arms affect the middle. Uh, but even something like that, if we, if we start to talk through just on the basic or fundamental the physics side of it, you know, by pulling your arms back and pushing your, your chest out, you're bringing mass backwards. So we're trying to run forward, but we're shifting our center of mass slightly back and back on top of, you know, sacrum or lower back and, and glutes. So we're kind of placing our, our center of mass, our, 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 what should be our um, steady state of mass on top of glutes. So we're like we're trying to push that mass forward from a directly on top point. Not the most efficient way to do it in a, in a physics sense. Um, in that position, you actually restrict um, lung capacity and breathing. So sometimes even said, you know, chest out so you can feel it with air. But the reality is once you stretch that chest, it takes away from the capacity for it to stretch anymore and places more pressure through diaphragm. Um, and you can engage through you know, upper back and shoulders. So now you've got attention through there. So that's probably the main thing and then how it can influence um, a runner, uh, which are really, really important parts to it. So that's why I feel like that that is such an important piece. Um, and it is just so common. And the other one is just like a misunderstanding of, of, of what arms do within the running um, technique. You know, it, it does create balance. It does create timing. And importantly, it creates lift. Like we're trying to get off the ground. And if we've got our arms down low or we're going down low through a movement, then we're just adding another you know, negative force or downwards force. I mean, we've got to fight gravity. And now if we're going to add another force on top of it, it's just going to make us work harder or hit harder or heavier. So the misunderstanding of what they can do for you. Um, you often hear, you know, when people are tired or, or trying to run fast, drive your arms, which I completely agree with. But if that person has a really poor arm movement, they're just going to do a bigger version of that poor movement. So like, oh, I am driving my arm. It's like, so they're two of the big, big ones. And I think probably the third one would just be like a real, an actual focus on foot strike without understanding the components that are actually creating their foot strike. Yeah. 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 Like so yeah, I, I try not to talk about foot strikes too much, but it's, very very important but it's yeah. like this it's like this how yeah. can you talk about it without talking about it because it is such an important piece but it is the end piece of the whole chain it's how you get there yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 that's um that's so good when i've always, i've heard you talk about um yeah the arm the arms and the power diamond um uh and the lift um uh and holding the elbow a little bit more acute to 90 degrees and and if you watch all the Africans um, uh, runners, um, and I've, I've seen a YouTube clip of all the 
all the Kenyans running around their, the red dirt track um, and the silhouette of them all moving so similar and, and beautifully together um, in an Indian file. Um, like when you watch them move, like they're, they're certainly doing it um, and they look so relaxed and, and rhythmical and in, in time. Um, when I've heard you talk about arm lift, I always think about Steve Monaghetti and how low his arms were. Um, yeah. Do you think? Like, obviously, like, um, he obviously, like, was quick. He ran 208. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, um, and I know it's just only one, like, aspect to performance. Um, but, yeah, I wonder if, yeah, like, do you have any thoughts there or you haven't really thought about um, Monas? Well, not specifically, yeah. but, like, I, I can picture him yeah. in my mind, like, yeah. the movement you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, we're always striving for something like that a little bit better, particularly at that level. Like well, now you can kind of get into the, the shoe talk and, and, and all yeah. that side of things. Like, but that's you know that's an improvement in economy from from um, both geometry and, and material of the shoe. But the same as you said about like those small uh, minute changes to to a movement pattern, and it's it, everything about running is about summation of forces and summation of movement. So. If we can slightly improve like a vertical lift as he's going through hip extension and, and, and toe off, it means that he can run at the same pace with less force to maintain that pace. Or if he wants to apply the same amount of force with a slight little bit more lift from his summation of movements, he's going to go faster or cover more distance per step, which is then going to in turn create a faster pace. So like I'll look at particularly um, elites when there's so many different movement patterns and just think the ones that don't move well, imagine in my head, I'm like, all right, imagine how much they could get out of a better movement pattern. Like they've obviously got huge engines to be competitive at this level, but they could be leaking, you know, leaking a lot of energy as a result of it. Or on the other hand, like their, their injury profiles are quite, you know, up and down because of their, their loading and the tissue that they're loading and, and the forces they're putting through parts of the body that aren't necessarily the most or the best for that. Yeah. So yeah, I do look at it a lot. I do look at it a lot. And this, I, again, it's probably similar to what I said earlier on. It's like I used to get frustrated with some things. It's like, no, okay, like you kind of remove that frustration level. It's more about, okay, it, it can be there. It is there. And like you can really see that there's a positive or there's a possible change for it. There's no need getting frustrated. It's just, just being able to, yeah, yeah. Kick it out, which is kind of an occupational hazard not to be able to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then, and then I've heard you talk about um, la lazy glutes, the term lazy glutes, and <laughs> I love, lo lo love um, your answer to that because um, it makes so much sense. Um, and you're speaking to a physio that would have used the term like for the first five <laughs> years of their career and yeah. and um given people like so many clamshell exercises where i look back on it and i'm like um yeah uh, like i'm i'm sh had it i known and got out outside and and um yeah maybe looked at their technique a little bit more um i would have done that as well um but i'm more the wiser now um so yeah um yeah like uh what what's your um, take on on lazy glutes and how, pe like um and that idea? I think I think it can often be used as a like it's half. There's like a half truth to it. So it's like yeah, they're not being used when you're running. So you're not going through or utilizing you know the strongest part of of the leg as well whilst you're running. But it's not that they're lazy. It's just that they're not used. You're not going yeah. through a range of motion that is actually you know targeting and then utilizing it. So the thing I, there's probably two analogies that I normally use. It's like, you know, when you're picking up a, a cup of coffee, you're not saying, you know, use anterior delt, extend, pick up, bring back in. You're not thinking about each and every muscle that's actually going to create that movement. What you're doing is going, ah, oh, cut, pick up, bring to. Now the muscular function works to create or to, to, to make the movement occur. Similarly, like I'll often hear about, oh, the lazy glutes, so focus on using your glutes. You can't think glutes while running and think, okay, well, that's going to use them. You've got to go, okay, what movement are you going through or not going through to mean that your aren't actually utilizing 
that muscle. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be glutes, but in this case, it's normally. So it's then used, oh, well, you don't use them. So that's the cause of all your issues. It's, it's not quite that simple. Because um, the other end of the spectrum, as you said, is like, okay, we'll strengthen them up. You know, do exercises, whatever, they, whatever ones they happen to be. And then expect that movement to change and utilize that muscle. It'd be like me throwing, like with my elbow next to my chest and like just doing a, an extended movement through my elbow and going like, I don't get the ball very far and I've got a really sore elbow. And me coming into you and going, oh, you, you know, you're not using, you've got, you've got lazy shoulder and pec muscles. So we get in the gym and we strengthen them all up and we kind of make them really strong. And you're like, oh, cool. And then I get out there and I'm still doing this movement. And I don't know why, why is it not changing? I'm still getting the same same soreness. And I'm not really throwing very, very far in still because I haven't actually changed the movement to utilize what is, you know, a proper throwing movement. So that's the same as a running. It seems to be like one of the only movement patterns in the world where someone said, oh, well, as long as you get stronger in that area, it's going to improve your technique. Doesn't work that way. You know, like it's super important. I think I get myself in trouble sometimes because it sounds like I don't think it's important, but it's it's very, very important, you know, for prevention, for performance, you know, for rehabilitation, like the, the strength and conditioning side of it. But it doesn't change the technique. We've got to kind of come from both yeah. both sides. They're, they're just as important pieces to the same puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly um, how I've started to understand it. It's like you've got like all these fitness components, whether it's, yeah, your strength, your coordination, your mobility and you want you you want all those um, pieces to the puzzle to you know the the athlete or the patient or the runner to be um capable in all those those pieces and otherwise you, you're not going to express express that one thing that you've been working on like you've, you've got to um yeah it's, that's that's why i have been using the mini hurdles like um because it if you um you really get someone to focus on um yeah, getting their foot down just over the over the hurdle, um, uh, and and get them to run run through. They have to lift their leg up through range, and they have to um, move through their hips. Um, uh, and and um, a lot of like I've had heaps of um, runners now go. Oh, I actually can feel my my hips working. Um, <laughs> but it was more by going through the movement, um, not not by giving them clams. Um, so it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Strengthen the muscle, but also get them to experience the movement. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the, like you can, I think um, you know drills often you use. Oh, that's good for technique. And I think there's there's a part component to it. As long as you use the drill to create a feeling to then replicate in the movement. Yeah. So you can create exactly what you're saying. Is like you can go through it and it's awesome warm up stuff. But then you know, oh, we do these drills for technique. And you go, okay, what do they do when they're out running? Oh, they've done their drill work and now they run. Yeah. What are they thinking about? Nothing. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, they just did their drill work so that, you know, we were improving technique over there. It's not separate. It's not isolated. Yeah. So as you said, like, utilize a specific drill to create a feel so that then you can go, okay, now let's put it in your run. And sometimes you need to exaggerate it. Like, no, 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 you think you're exaggerating that movement or that position, but you're not. Like, overdo it. Then, you know, that's the only time, or not the only time, but one of the only times I'll use video. It's like, you, you exaggerate it, whether it's a movement or a position, and I'll film it, and then how that feel? I feel like I'm, I'm struck. I feel like I'm, like, kneeing myself in the chin. And then you show them the video, and they're like, oh, that looks good. Yeah, it's just in comparison to what you are used to. So it's really, really normal to feel like you're kneeing yourself in the chin or super hunched or... You know, looking at the ground as long as it's not at your feet. You know, like it's just in comparison to what you are used to, and then you can use that as an awareness marker now. So you go back to that whole thing of like, if you're not doing that or feeling that, particularly early on, you're probably not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So then you can actually use that tool to be able to get them to replicate it when they're out by themselves. Um, you're probably sick of talking about this one, but cadence. Um... Yeah, because it's super important because it's used so often. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah. So with cadence, um, like if you look at, there's a, a study that showed that um, uh, several world champions from a few years back um, over distance run, over the distances were between 170 and 185 steps per minute. So there was like this sort of bandwidth um, bandwidth 
um, that you could say that um, some of the best runners, uh, most efficient runners, or fastest runners, I guess, in the world were um, using. If I like um, have like a runner that's down at say 150 or 140 steps a minute, like you can clearly see that um, they need a, um, you know, and, and so a lot of them do benefit from using the metronome or the, or the or that rhythm to just change change what they their awareness of the rhythm that they associate with running, and it helps them sort of get to, uh, or helps like trim their overstride or overcasting, and it gets them to land a bit more under them. Um, but the thing is, um, a lot of the time they just use the same the same uh, movement um, to get to that to get to that quicker cadence. And since um, I've discovered the wickets, I've used the the metronome and the wickets to try to get them like a lot of the time to, to uh, especially if they're overstriding, to try to find like a, a better way to get to that, um, to express force into the ground. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on that strategy? And uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on um, cadence? So probably even just touching on that last piece, like the, the force into the ground, which I understand, but I think particularly once we start to get moving and we start to you know, build up to the momentum to the pace that we want to run at, our, our whole job is actually fighting gravity, not the ground. Yep. So trying to put force down into the ground kind of creates like this, you know, the, the other side to it. So we're trying to create, you know, like up and off. Now it's a super important part of it. Like it's not like, oh no, we just can't float the whole way. Yep. It's like that other piece of like trying to keep down probably gives a little bit more of that downward um, focus rather than, you know, like up. And getting up off the ground mm -hmm. the, the cadence i think there's a cadence in the interesting one so I, I understand what you mean by the you know say 150 you can obviously see that it's you know like an overstriding breaking force huge ground contact time um which is taking time to get through each stride which is why they have a a low one and by saying okay shorten it up you know is going to take away the impact oh, sorry take away reduce that first step and hopefully if done not just run faster like is going to reduce the amount of time but they're doing the same movement as you said more often just a smaller version so in in the initial case you'd say okay but why are they doing that and what movements are they doing to create it why not start to change it because we could actually immediately change it by some of the, the top the top stuff so instead of trying to land underneath hips saying well let's shift our center of masks over feet because again the, the non-negotiable is the ground and the foot is the direct point of it. So just trying to move that closer without changing anything else is, is difficult. And I think people really, they can do it, but they, they struggle to do it really, really effectively. So if we actually take mass over the top, it actually reduces that ground contact um, or ground reaction force and breaking force, and then therefore the ground contact time, and then naturally the cadence will come up as well. So you're doing what you want to do, but from a different portion. Mm -hmm. The other way you could actually look at it is if you said to me, someone's got, you know, and 150 is admittedly very, very low, but they could be seven foot tall and running perfectly. You know, long yeah. levers, hitting the ground, spending a lot of time in the air. It takes a long time to get through their step because they have really long levers, but they don't need to change anything because they're actually utilizing the ground. They're getting return of energy and they're getting that flight and float with minimal ground contact time. So, it's more, I normally use the examples of putting more in that 160 to 165. You and I could be running next to each other and you could be running at 165 and I could be running at 165. And I could be a big over, over stride, a ground reaction force, ground contact time. And you could be upper leg dominant, landing, good body position. So we've got the exact same number, but two very, very different inputs. And those inputs are what's, what's creating my number and the inputs are what's creating your number, but it's the exact same number, therefore yours is good. And mine's bad, you know, like when we think about it that way. Yeah. I just think it's used too much and people get caught up with, you know, like the magical number or around that magical number is like, oh, I've got to hit it all the time. And you think, well, hang on, what about slow running? And if we use your example of the elites and, you know, if they're around that 175 to 185, what about when they're doing 400 reps? I can tell you now, Paul Chilimo is doing 600 reps at two, 200 to 210. Yeah. You know, he's not sticking in that. Yeah. 175 to 185 and yeah. neither is any other athlete or if you watch you know some of the 
the, the best of an elite marathon runners at the moment, when they're doing their really easy running, I can tell you they're not running at 180. Yeah. They're around that, you know, mid 160s and they're just, just yeah. don't know how long and it's efficient movement, it's a nice, flighty, bouncy movement. Yeah. So there is a range. There, you will get to the point where it's too low, but again, you get to the point where it's too high too. So another athlete, Vanessa Fraser, um, over in the States, where she runs at the easy runs at around 190s and wondering why she can't get stride length. So we've had to like really pair it back and get her a feel what what it feels like to have it slower, but because she had a really good movement pattern, it wasn't like slowing it down by creating like a, you know, a braking force and just going, okay, slow the movement down. So no, no, create flight, get up off the ground, open up your stride, so then we can actually utilize each step rather than just take heaps of them because you've got nowhere to go from there. Had she had a lot but of Achilles you... stuff? Had she had a she did. Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. thing happened to me um, or similar. Like um, I've had eight years of Achilles trouble and I used to have a bit more flight, and I turned into this sort of short shuffler. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, 200 steps a minute all the time. Um, and um, the last uh, two years, I've sort of worked on trying to get a bit more flight, and it's felt a lot better. Like, it has felt a lot better, but I had to had to kind of get rid of the pain and slow down. And, um, yeah, and which not... is a hard part to yeah. it, isn't it? Because you're like, well, yeah, I'd love to get back to that really good movement, but that movement utilises the area that's sore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and even even so, if you go the other way, like a lot of times during the nineties and two thousands of like trail running, it like no, take tiny little steps, keep low, just you know, because that's efficient. And in the last ten years, fifteen, yeah, ten to fifteen years, but more in the last ten, where some road runners or just you know good, good um, road runners and distance runners have gone to do trail, and they just run like they run on the road. And they're like, oh shit, that's quick. You know, like all the records have been broken more people are running them as well so there's there is an influx of, of athletes who are running it but it's like just run normally there's going to be bits where you do have to shorten down and chop down because of the, the terrain but when you can an efficient yeah. movement is efficient movement yeah. just do it fast like do it in the best case yeah it's not efficient because it's on the trail or efficient because it's on the track and they're two different movements <laughs> yeah yeah we want to get the most out of each step not just chop down and shorten and spend more time on the ground and take more steps more steps it's more effort that's that's great. That's awesome, Paul. Um, uh, just one or two more, because um, I'm wary of your time. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, lower leg dominant and knee dominant before, and yeah, this is another thing that I've really enjoyed listening to you um, talk about. Um, with um, lower leg dominant, um, uh, I, I remember you putting up a clip of um, uh, this pretty good marathoner probably a 205 marathoner. Um, I've forgotten his name. Katata? Uh, Katata, yeah. And yeah. yeah, he was more lower leg dominant, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think about it as like, I think about it as a dominant because it's just easier to, to do it. But when, when I kind of get into a little bit more of, a, of, a, of a, um, an explanation, I think it's like a lower leg pattern um, compared to an upper leg pattern movement. Yeah. And what that means is like, we're thinking about running more as a coordinated pattern of movement, which I think is really, really lost. Because you think when you walk, it's it's um, you know, arms are down by your sides. When you walk, you know your left hand is moving and matching at all times with your right foot. So it's the end of each lever, and what they're doing is they're just you know forward and back. And yes, you lever over, but they are in time, and they are pattern. When we run, we lift our arms up to create a shorter lever, and that's why it becomes really important to create that smaller angle rather than that bigger angle. Because again, going back to basic physics. A long lever takes more time or more effort to go through a range of motion and it creates different force directions. So if we can go here, then we can actually start to create an easier movement because it's a shorter lever and you can change the angles of those movements. However, when we run, we want that humerus or the upper arm to be patterned or coordinated with the femur so that as it swings forward, the elbow kind of matches to the knee and then swing down and back immediately, which then keeps the lower leg underneath the femur and you, as you said, you know, drive down, yes you do. But it's patterned, that your arm is patterned to your upper leg. Now the lower leg dominant or lower leg patterned is same arm movement, but instead of meeting the knee and coming straight down, the knee comes up and the foot keeps going forward as the elbow swings forward. So now the elbow and the foot are the two pieces that are matching. So the femur swings up, it pauses and stops as the lower leg keeps going forward. And then at that point it hits, and then you've got this 
whole long lever, femur stops, lower leg yeah. comes up behind, creates or uses time, takes away from knee drive, yeah. comes forward, stops, comes forward. So yeah. it is, it's a pattern that is connected or it is not. And that's where that overstride comes from. So rather than going shorten it, change it, land on this part of the foot, it's like, well, it's really difficult because the elbow is still going to be patterned into that lower leg, but you're just trying to jam it in or, or, or change it or shorten it. And it doesn't work that way. So that's been like, that was the real big key to understanding. Like when we start to get all the way down into actually connecting the movements, because we kind of change the movement and then connect the movement and like how it actually works in a full body because it running is it's full body i don't care what anyone says yeah, yeah. you can't just hold your arms next so if you if you held your shirt or put your hands in your pockets and tried to run you'll feel your whole body you're just trying to find that counter movement so the counter movement has to be connected to one part of the leg it yep. can be the top part or the bottom part and however you connect it naturally or consciously is going to create your landing create your ground contact and then repeat it over and over. So that katata is, yeah, foot, hits, bang. You've got this big angle from landing through into hips, and then he's got kind of like this, um, like a hinge, a little bit more of a hinging. He's super fast, but he's got a huge engine, and he's injured regularly. Yeah, he's always got strap on his knee. Like he's always, yeah, got, always got strap on his knees, yeah. always got um, tip poster. Yeah. He's always, you know, he, he can't go through the intensity. Um. If you yeah, were coaching him, if you were coaching him, like if you had the chance to like spend two years coaching him, um, obviously, like would you, what would you, ch- would you change stuff or you would just go, no, nah, he's done this for too long or? No, no, I'd change stuff. But again, yeah. the, the process of mine, because, and, and probably the other side to the whole top down is when you do change a bit at the top, it does influence down the bottom, but like minorly. Mm. Yeah. So they get used to that and then you change the next piece. So the bottom changes minorly. Yeah. So they're making these gradual changes and they're adapting. So rather than like these big changes, and like, uh, you know, you go back to the whole research of change from heel strike to midfoot, you know, 90, 90 to 95% um, incidence of injury. Yeah, no shit. You're still breaking, but with a point of toe. So you're going to have that. But if we actually kind of naturally slowly change it over time and get to the point. And then in that time, what you can do is you can actually set them up for success of creating dynamic movements and strength through the lower leg to set them up for when they actually do change it. They're like, oh, shit, I've been doing six months, 12 months of like skipping and hopping and strength-based work through that lower leg complex. So I'm changing, oh, that's okay. But if we don't do that, then you can set them up for failure as well. Yeah. So there's the, which also kind of, that process helps that side of it as well. We started the podcast. You talked about your experience working with Galen Rupp. Like he's obviously run for so long, and he's still got um, someone who's working with him for his technique. Like the sport, like you get so many sore spots and injuries. Um, so it's so cool to see like someone who's at such a high level still working on their technique. Um, but then even just hearing that, like you talk about um, Katara and how the top-down approach, that's the benefit of it. Like it'll be a, a more graduated approach. So then it's not like this yeah. really quick, impatient change because that's our so- society today. Like we're all impatient yeah. trying to make a change. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense. Like how like how long um, like should runners, like if they're trying to make a, a technique change, uh, like be exp- realistic about like expectant of of how long it takes like classically typically on average to sort of really um get a good good sort of grasp of of good running technique and then um obviously you're always going to keep having to tweak it when you get injured or or sore but yeah it's um look i mean like anything how long's a piece of string because you think about someone like a brett who's similar level of of, of galen that he's still working on it to get the most out of it. Yes, he's got like the, the stitch side of things that he's trying to fix as well, but he's also just going, well, even if it doesn't really fix that, it's actually helping me become more efficient. So there's this real thought process of like, if this is going to help me and I can feel it actually helping me, why wouldn't I continue to work on it? So someone like that is almost at that point of continual refinement right from the start. You know, Galen's probably further back because he's created these weird, these weird patterns. Um, but it could be someone who is just starting running. So it's almost like we're actually building 
the technique as they're building their load as well. Because then if you get someone who's running, you know, say, 100 kilometers a week, that's a lot. And so for them, it'd be like, where are they now? At what point? And how are they moving? And then you get a, you get an understanding of, you know, that might take a while. Yeah. Or do you reckon there's probably like two or three low-hanging fruit bits so we can probably get, you know, get used or get done. And then it's the refinement side. Yeah. So it's kind of like, where are they at this point? In a, in a movement sense, in a loading sense, um, in a history sense. And then you can start to kind of work from there. Because you, you can think about, I always think about running is, as like loading is, is, is in two pillars. So the loading that you do with your coaching, with the, the frequency, the intensity, the, um, the actual amount that you're running. And then the loading of being like, how do you load your body and your tissue with each step? If we can manage the, the loading of landing each step, then we don't have to manage this loading as much. Sometimes we would, but the, for, for a lot of parts, this is the only load that we can. It's like, okay, well, we've got to do less. And then we'll try and build back up and build back up and build back up. But it's going to get to a point that if you don't change the other pillar, you're probably going to get to the same point over and over and over again. And then having, oh, how can we get smart here? Or how can we get cheeky there? And you go, well, there's a whole other pillar that we can actually utilize to then assist with this pillar. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like for, for a long time, I was like, oh, um, like a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't, like, doesn't matter how you, how you run. Everyone runs differently. Your body adapts. It gets stronger. Muscles, cartilage, tendon, they adapt. They get stronger. But that's exactly how I've started to think of it too. It's like, yeah, to, an, to a point, but if you're really having to, you're wanting to push the envelope and try to get better and you're starting to run more, there probably will be a ceiling earlier than um, it potentially could be if you tapped into like better movement or improved movement. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. if you use that, like we use the example of the, the lower leg pattern, the lower leg dominant movement to create force, to take load, they're going to use different you know, muscle structures and different parts of the body when they land. And they're going to be creating propulsion from different parts of the body to push off. As opposed to the upper leg, as you land and load, they're going to load different tissue. And the, the, the tissue it's going to load is probably more likely going to be the ones that you know, ideally and to create force of propulsion. So you can't just say, like, I, I agree with you, like, you, the more you run, no matter what technique, yeah, it's going to condition it. But that movement's going to get conditioned. But if it is a minor muscle that's creating your force or taking the impact, then it's got a, it's got a life expectancy or it's got, like, a breaking point. So not all tissues are the same or not all, all muscles are the same. Not all, They can't all take the same, same load. So which ones are you loading through which movement? Or the other part, like, when you think, even just something as simple as, like, I always not to talk about landing but you think about katata big breaking force hits his, his heel so his primary shock absorber is you know heel pronation yeah. you know knee hip whereas you think about like uh, uh kipchoge his primary shock absorber is calf achilles yeah. with pronation as well it's not the pronation it's about it's like it's his full function it's his full thing that's actually taking all this load so as a coach if you're trying to get this you know five to ten percent increase and gradual increase what tissue is going to be able to increase at that rate? Is it going to be muscles and tendons supported by bones and joints? Or is it bones and joints supported by muscles and tendons? Like it, it's not same, same. Like it's, it's not comparing apples with apples because there's just two different landing patterns, two different structures taking load and giving force. And you can't then, as a coach, go, wow, but I've been following the right thing, which most people do. But it's not the same yeah <laughs> we're not loading that tissue that tissue doesn't react to the same way yes yeah and i was i was talking to a friend um recently on the podcast um tom o'halloran he was saying a very similar thing he's like like look at how thick the achilles tendon is like just look at the structure like um uh like it it looks like it's designed you know to be to be used better <laughs> or more yeah um, yeah it is it's a yeah. it's a thick elastic band and you got you know the muscle above it to have that stretch shortened cycle but if you hit here with that breaking force and you roll through all it's doing now is actually contracting and creating plantar flexion it's not actually going through a stretch shortened it's not you're not using any of that energy to return or returned energy um i know it's a 
it is a little bit more of an end of the spectrum example, but like a, a kangaroo uses 90 to 95% of their energy return each time because they've got these big, long, thick Achilles. And if we're just going to kick, heal, roll through, we're not using that elasticity. And then we're not shock absorbing as well as our body can because, yes, Achilles calf and pronation to go through and then come back up again. Like it's all a part of that system. And once you create the forces that you do, once you start running faster and at pace and creating flight, we need them. Yeah. And walking, we don't. We're not creating that. So we can actually throw the leg out and we're using that back leg to push over the front leg. Can't do that when we start running because we're in the air. So you hit and there's nothing pushing over that front leg except momentum. It's like, okay, I'll catch up. Now I have to pull myself forward. That's just completely different mechanics. Yes. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And it's so cool to hear you who's been on the floor, um, practically getting amongst it, like, um, and working with athletes and seeing what works and what helps people change successfully, like with less injury, um, um, and, and actually, um, uh, sort of self-organize and, and change their technique successfully by working a bit more sort of from that that top top down sort of approach um, makes a lot of sense and like it and last one like if you were um, trying to teach um, the upper uh, leg um, patterning um, to someone um, how how do you sort of do you get to know the person get to know their quirks their what makes them tick. You, um, you you feel like they've got a uh, katata kind of uh, stride and uh, do you just do, do you sort of work out a cue that communicates well with them and, and they understand it and then you sort of get in there and, and demonstrate and then sh- maybe physically sort of show it with them like the um, that sort of the arm like the arm angle or does it range? Does it vary? Like it depends on the person. Like how do you actually sort of get them to feel that rhythm and that difference? Um, look, it does to a certain extent depend on the person, but less so than what you probably think. If you can, if you can get a really good example and can go through a coaching process, it goes like A to B to C and like, and that's been developed. Like, you know, I've had to develop that over time to get the best case out of it as well. Like to simplify it more and more and more to make it feel easier so that I can even do it, you know, over, over FaceTime and be able to just a communicative piece rather than actually, you know, feel this or picture this and, and, you know, standing behind them or doing whatever they, so if you, the better you can communicate it, the better examples you can use to give them as much information, the better you can do it and the better you can teach it. And then at less, there's less reliance on understanding the individuals, you know, neuroses of the different intricacies well super important and that's just like the communication side of it but like if you can create a manner in which to explain it that they can understand without the additional stuff and that's yeah but that's i mean that's either experience or just working on own craft at that point like because i'm better now than what i was you know two years four years ago at it just trying to get the person to, to do what i want them to do like a little little marionette um that's yeah that's kind of part of the the coaching side of it yeah yep um uh, and then yeah um no i'll leave it there because i'm I'm wearing the time (laughs) 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 um thanks so much paul like um uh yeah like i was going to ask you like what are your biggest learnings have been over the journey um because that's always an interesting one um that reflective piece okay, well, on that, yeah. like it's you know each each athlete that i see will have like their story yeah and i'll have like they'll have their own um way of getting to where they're coming to see me and and giving them time and making sure that create a space for them to be able to, to tell it irrespective of you know how short or long it is and and actually by doing that being better equipped to help them so and then understanding it so i think that's probably one of the one of the biggest ones, and the other one is actually I, like even now I'll learn stuff off some of my athletes that I've been working with for an extended period of time because you can they can turn up and go, well, look, I have no idea what I'm going to work on next. Um, like I might have an idea, but I can ask them and say, well, what have you been feeling? What is it that you've been noticing? And then they'll kind of highlight to me what they've been feeling. I'll go, oh shit, and you start to see that similar pattern or position in, in others, and you go, oh, okay. So being open to 
actually allowing or, or using in some in some regards using my athletes to actually learn more yeah more from them as well that's probably also like um similar experience that i've had as a physio like got better at like um yeah just listening always thought i was a good listener but got even better at it like um because just sitting back and and just really trying to get to understand the person in front of you um uh, i think like initially like as i started physio you you're sort of telling people what to do because you're you're all sort of um eager to sort of um show show your knowledge and everything but um i think like yeah great 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 point um just understanding the person in front of you and how unique everyone is um paul where could everyone find you you're pretty prominent um there's got a lot of followers on instagram um <laughs> but where could everyone find out more if they're interested in the balanced runner so the the um the online course is like where you can get like the most information is at the um, tbrunner.com. So as, as you know, um, and that's kind of like getting a real understanding of the, of the process of how I coach and then being able to actually have access to those tools. And, and like even that, like the the way it's set out is how I coach and showing like each video just saying like this is how you set up a session. This is what to look for. This is the new way, old way and what, what you're trying to do. And then, you know, creating this top-down approach and saying like, here's all your process. And, and not everyone will need every video, but it's like, it's all set out that way. And it's, it's kind of, it's a really paint by numbers kind of way of doing it. So there's, there's that. And then on a day to day, yeah, just Instagram. Like I'm not <laughs> prolific on I kind of go missing every now and again, but I try and put up stuff that either it's just thought processes that I have through what I see or, or highlighting some changes for some of the athletes or like celebrating some of the athletes that I met. So that's on at the balance drama on Instagram. So they're, the, they're probably the two main spaces i'm on and youtube i found a really good video of you and brett robinson like i found that really informative and it was really cool just to hear brett talk about his experiences with you as well yeah actually yeah good good point like there are um there's some and there's some basic information like basic cues on, on, on the youtube channels channel as well like just just little things you might not have thought about and and, and it gives you a bit of a, a, a taste of how these different changes can actually affect or influence your own movement patterns but yeah that's, that's a good point. <laughs> I've taken way up, uh, w up way too much of your time. So thanks so much for being so generous today. And uh, it's been a pleasure. No worries. Thanks for having me over. Really enjoyed it. It's, it's always fun talking running. Like, I, I genuinely love it, love the movement and, and, and love the, the coaching side of it. So yeah, it's, it's been fun. Awesome.